Well, this morning, I'm thankful you're here in spite of the rain. Uh, I, I guess, is it raining yet? I haven't been outside. It hadn't rained yet. That's good. Um, you know, we're, I want to ask you a question today. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a faith that's dead? Do you have a faith that's alive? And this is an important question. This week, we, we uh, had this event. We do it every six weeks or so. It's called Dinner with the Pastor. And if you're visiting and you're, you're wanting to find out how to join our church or connect further, it's a great thing for you to come to. And, uh, and so you could send us an email, and we'd love to help you connect. But, but we, had a, we had one this past Wednesday, and we had a really interesting conversation. And I love it because it's kind of a smaller setting, and we get to talk about what God's doing in, in our church and, and hear stories of how people came to us, and it's really great. So I'd love for you to come if you're visiting. But uh, we had a great question this week. He, uh, one of the guys coming said, said why, why do you need to join a church? And it's a great question because I, I see a trend in church around the nation that, that peop, few and few, more and more churches are not asking people to join them. They're just saying, oh, just come, just come. And, and, and you know, the truth is that, that's, that's not a direction I feel like we should go. Because I believe that church membership is really important because when you join a church, you are, you are coming into a family. You're building a relationship. This, you're, you, a church is meant to be personal, to be accountable, to be, to be living life together, to, to be a community of people where we help one another. And it was a great question. That, that was, we got to process. And, and you know, the Bible says that Hebrews 10, 25 says, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and do it all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, though that, that, that verse doesn't say, oh, look, you should join a church, but it implies that church is this encouraging environment, this moment where you're living life together and we need to get closer together and, and, and be connected to one another because as we see the day approaching, this day of the Lord, and I'll tell you, it's crazy what we're seeing in our society with the conversations we're having about transgender bathrooms and things. And you're like, are you kidding me? It's crazy. These intellectual people, are making these absurd arguments, and it's just an interesting world to live in. And we need each other. We need a church. A church is supposed to be close, personal. And, and you know, it helps us in church to not just go through the motions. Now, it's interesting when you think about church and, and people going to church. For some, church is this environment of religious ritual, where we just go through the motions and, and you just go through these religious motions. For some, church is this distant, I'm gonna come whenever I'm available and I'm not really connected. And, and, and that's not the way church is meant to be. And, and, and this morning, it's my prayer that we glean from the book of James. We understand what James is saying because he's talking about, in this passage that we're going to look at today, talks about the difference between a real faith and a counterfeit faith. And, I, and this is something that we've got to confront. I love the way we study the Bible here. When On Sunday mornings, we go through, we're going through this whole book of James. And it's going to take us months to do it. But, but it causes us to confront some important issues. And my, my prayer is today that every one of us can understand, do we have a faith 
that's alive. So would you stand with me and let's look at James chapter 2. And we're going to read together verses 14 through 26. And let's look at what God says through his word today. James writes this, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now let's unpack this a little bit today. And I, I need you to think with me. I want you to stay with me in James chapter 2 as we kind of unpack this passage. But the first thing I want you to see this morning, if you have your notes, I'd love for you to follow along with this. But the first point in our notes is this, is that helping people in need and following Jesus always go together. These are two things that just you always see together. When you follow Jesus, you are moved to help someone in need. Look at verse 14. He says, what use is it, my brethren, he's talking to believers here, if someone says that he has faith but has no works, and then he says, ask another question, can that faith save him? In verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? It's a great question. You know, what, what use is it if you just say, oh, go in peace, go, and, and you don't help them? Now, now James is pointing out that, that, look, it's obvious that following Jesus and helping other people are two things that go together all the time. And, and I want us to know this. We can't get away as we impact, with, as we um, inject ourselves and, and interact with an unbelieving world. When we put our faith into practice and we help people, that is one of the ways that an unbelieving world looks at us and says, look, you really do believe in Jesus. And, and we've got to pay attention to the way we live. And that's where James is going here. Now, now Paul says something in, in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 9, and I want you to see it. Paul is talking about this. He says, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, 
his righteousness endures forever. Now I want you to notice in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's pushing them, he's challenging them to live out their faith. And, he's, and anytime you see in scripture as it is written, it's referring to another scripture. So what Paul is referring to is Psalm 112. And Psalm 112 is this incredible psalm that talks about the life of a man who fears the Lord, a man who walks with God, whose delight is in the word of God, whose delight is putting God's word into practice. And one of the things that Paul says is that this man that walks with Jesus, he scattered, he, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now this is what a Christian looks like. This is why... If, you, if you've ever seen, the, like studied the history of the world, if you know the, the bubo, like when the bubonic plague was going on in, in Europe and, and it was spreading and people were flipping out and they were fleeing the cities and they were getting away from where the plague was spreading. But what did Christians do? Christians were the ones that went to the cities. Most people were going, man, people are dying, let's get out of here. And Christians were saying, people are dying, let's go in there. Let's go help them. Because all through history, someone that follows Jesus moves to help people. This is why we look at our society, our culture right now. And in Owasso, we have St. John's Hospital. We have St. Francis Hospital. If you go to Oklahoma City, we have Baptist Hospital. These are the genesis of these health care and these hospitals were Christians that were impacted by the gospel that said, look, I want to go help people. Because all through history, Christians believe that the gospel moves us to make an eternal impact. It moves us to help people. And I want you to recognize that when we follow Jesus, as we put our faith into practice, we're moved to the gospel and we're moved to help people. This is why we're building the mission. The mission is, uh, is uh, hopefully we can get this off the ground sooner rather than later. And we're raising the money for that. And, and the goal for the mission on Garnett is to help set our church up for generations to help people in need in, the, in, in Owasso, in Tulsa, and the communities around us. Because we are going to position our church to lead the way to help people in need. Now, we're not just going to give them stuff. The, the genesis of that, the heart of this is share the gospel and help people in need. And this is what James is saying. Look, this is what happens when you follow Jesus. It's the natural thing. It's the natural result of the gospel of forgiveness impacting our lives. Now, now on the surface, I want you to notice this. James says something kind of shocking. And it is important that we deal with this controversy this morning because uh, this is one of the most difficult passages of Scripture to understand. And, and, and you know what James says here, you may think, well, well, Chris, I heard you say some of the opposite things. And wait a minute, doesn't Paul say the opposite of James? Because Paul talks about, look, it's by faith that you are saved, but James is James saying it's by works that you are saved? Now, we gotta settle this. Because in this passage, you, if you just look at it, James says faith alone can't save you. A person is saved by works, not faith. Now, point number two today I want you to see is, is this. If salvation cannot be earned, why does James say faith without works 
is dead. Now, he doesn't say it's a bad idea. He doesn't say faith without works is bad. He says faith without works is dead. Now, dead's dead. That's what the Greek means. It means dead. If you want to know, I'm a Greek scholar. There it goes. It means dead. But see, Paul says the opposite. Look at what Paul said. Paul says this in, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, and this is a, many of you know this verse, for by grace you have been saved, look at this, through faith, and that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, look at this, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Paul goes on to say, for we are God's workmanship, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So right here, we see Paul saying, wait, it's by faith, not by works. Paul says again in Romans 3.20, because of the works of the law, look at this, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He says no flesh, no work will enable you to get to heaven. He says again in Romans 5.1, therefore, look at this, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it appears, if you look at this, wait a minute, the Bible's contradicting itself. James, the brother of Jesus, is saying the opposite of Paul. And you know what's interesting about Paul? Is, is Paul uses Abraham as an example of making his point that salvation is through faith. James uses Abraham as an example of, no, it's by works. So which one's right? Well, let me ask you a question. We, we, your staff at your church is a passionate staff. We have passions and opinions. All of us do. And there have been times that we've been in a staff meeting wrestling through an issue. And I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever been passionately wrestling through an issue with somebody and you're arguing your point and then you stop after a little bit and you realize, wait a minute, we're saying the same thing. We're just looking at it from different perspectives. Have you ever done that? I mean, we do that all the time. We're like, we finally go, okay, wait a minute, we're saying the same thing. Well, it's about time we said that, you know. Really, when you look at James and you look at Paul, and this is an important controversy, important to understand with this passage, basically these two guys are saying the same thing only in a different way. It's like in debate, if you had high school debate, they tell you in debate, you've got to define the key terms, and I want you to see this. Now, I put it on the screen today. What looks like two men opposing each other is really two men as partners standing back to back fighting a different enemy. So this morning, real quick, I want to define these key terms. Now, when, when and, and this is important because I believe our salvation is dependent upon knowing the truth, and I want you to know the truth, and these two key terms are faith and works. And you've got to understand what James and Paul are both saying when they say faith and works. Now, when Paul uses the word faith, he's describing this heartfelt kind of faith that penetrates your life. This faith that, that changes you. This faith that, that works from the inside out. Now, when James uses the word faith, he is describing this, this head faith. 
this, this faith that doesn't ever get to the heart. That, that this kind of flippant comment like, I'm a, I'm a Christian because I live in America, you know, kind of idea. This head faith. Now the word works, when Paul uses the word works, he's talking about combating this idea that if you follow this list of rules, then you are going to get to heaven. And there are many people that think that. There are many people in the world that think, if I do A, B, and C, then surely God wouldn't, wouldn't reject me. I mean, I know people, I mean, I've traveled in mission trips and, and I've run into people that are in the Peace Corps and do incredible work. But they don't have a faith. And there are many people that have this idea that, well, if I do these works, if I go to church, if I give money, then I'm going to be all right. And see, when, when Paul uses the word works, he's saying, no, that's not it. It's not just, it, salvation is not dependent on you. When James uses the word works, he's talking about these acts of love, these acts of kindness that stem from our passion for Jesus, how Christ has changed us. We can't help but be grateful. We can't help but help somebody else. So it's important that we recognize these terms. Look at verse 14. James writes, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? He's like, look, works come as a natural result of our faith. If, if you don't, if that's not the case, then you need to examine whether you have faith. It's kind of like this. My son is 15 and a half, and he's got his driver's permit. And um, he's got this truck that we got for him that is a, uh, it's an old truck, and it's a stick shift. How many of you know how to drive a, a manual transmission, drive a stick shift? Okay, well, it's not uncommon to see us tying up traffic in Owasso um, as we're going, you know, uh, trying to learn how to do this. And, and, uh, and it's great fun. It's great excitement, especially when we're on a hill and we're peeling out. And, and it's awesome. It's frightening. It's teaching me to trust Jesus. And, but, but you know what? Even though he has a permit, that's worthless if my son doesn't know how to drive his truck. So a permit is worthless without the ability to drive, right? A driver's license is worthless unless you can drive. Now, that's what James is saying. He's saying, look, th there is this faith that is phony, a faith that doesn't produce a passion or, or any works in your life. And, and you, gotta, you gotta evaluate that. There is a faith that changes your life. And that's what James is talking about. Jesus even said this. He said, he said by your fruit, by, by their fruit, you shall know them. And what James is doing in his book is going, yeah, right, Jesus will impact your life. And I want you to see that James and Paul are not disagreeing with one another. And I'll say it like this. Paul is defending Christianity from people trying to earn their way to heaven by being good. And I want you to know something that is absolutely true. You cannot earn your way to heaven. James isn't saying that. Paul's not saying that. Because it's not true. You cannot earn your way. 
Now, James, what he is saying, James is defending Christianity from people trying to fake their way into heaven by going through some religious motion without really having a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And, and see, what, what is important is, is God is at work in your life. And when Jesus saves you, he, his spirit indwells you. And with that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have some things to grow in. Oh, we've got a lot to grow with. Until we die, we're going to be growing spiritually. This is why we're learning to listen to his voice and follow Jesus. But, but if you're saved, if Jesus saves you, if you have this genuine faith, his spirit will be working in you. His spirit will move you. Now James says he will move you to follow him to do works. And we've got we to see this. Now with all that in mind, let's, let's process for a few minutes what real faith looks like. And this is important. Faith is not something we should flippantly encounter. We shouldn't be flippant about, oh yeah, I'm flippant about my faith in Jesus. Today, we are confronted with this evaluation, am I a believer? Now, point number three is important. I must evaluate if my faith is real. And every one of us, I pray that we evaluate that, that we come to the understanding, do I have a real faith? Now, let's think about this. Now, first thing is this, real faith is not just something you say. And I want you to know that. Look at verse 14 in James 2. He says, what use is it, my brethren? Look at this. If someone says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? He's not saying this is someone that has a faith. It's someone that just says he has faith. I think that there's a lot of people in the world that, that will say, oh, I have faith in God. I believe in God. It's just like uh, this week I had a conversation with a um, a person coming to our church and, they're, and they have a family member who has basically said, I'm an atheist, I don't believe what you believe, and, and said to her, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm just gonna confess that, that Jesus is my savior right before I die. Until then, I'm just, don't, don't even talk to me about it. Well, there's a lot of problems with that. Now, first of all, you don't know when you're gonna die. Um, and he may not have the luxury of being able to see that day. But it's also true to understand that faith is not just something you say. You know, we live in a country that, Gallup poll said recently that, that uh, 50 million Americans will say they are born again followers of Jesus. But my concern is that there are many that, that don't have a genuine faith. And today I want to ask you a question, is that you? I, I, there was a conference this week. It was an interesting, really cool conference that we didn't go to it. But, but uh, there was a statement that came out of this by a guy named John MacArthur. He said, he said that we are living, he, he believes that we are living in a generation. It's, it, there, where there, will be, there will be the greatest number of people that will face the tragedy of Matthew 7, 21. 
Matthew 7, 21 says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is not saying, oh, you have to do good things to get to heaven. But he is warning the world that faith is not just something you say. And we have this, this culture right now of easy believism that, oh, uh, you just say you believe it and you're good. You say this prayer and you're all right. You know, you gotta, we got to understand, authentic faith is not just something we say. And this is very important to understand. Not every Christian with a bumper sticker is, not every person with a Christian bumper sticker is a Christian. Not every professor of Christianity is a possessor of Christianity. And I, and I think it's important that we, we see this. Real faith is not just something you say. And this is also important. Real faith is not just something you feel. You know, we live in, in the, um, Tulsa where there's a lot of emotionalism in church. And, it's, and sometimes we, we come to church and we've, we're emotional people and that's okay. I'm emotional uh, many to, all the, a lot. But, but real faith is not just that moment that you get a quiver in your liver, like my pastor used to say, right? I just feel this kind of funny feeling inside, so I have faith. No, that, there's a faith, real authentic faith is not just something you feel. A lot of times we confuse emotion and sentiment with, with real faith. And, and we've got we've to have a faith that's deeper than just an emotion. And this is what James is saying, that faith is not an emotion. It translates into an action. He gives this illustration in verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? It's like when, um, when I was on a mission trip, and you ought to go on a mission trip because so many cool things happen. And, and uh, years ago, it was before the internet. Anybody remember life before internet and cell phones? Remember that? Kids are going, really? What are you talking about? Um, but uh, we were in Mexico. We were six hours south of the border in Mexico, and we had 115 kids with us, and, and, and we needed to call home. And so there was only one phone in that area. My pastor, Mark Hartman, and I get in a van, and we drive up the hill to where this phone was. And, um, and I love Mark, and he's the pastor in Houston. And, and, um, but, but, you know, if we had to fight somebody, I think I'd choose somebody else because he's a good guy and he's tough. But uh, if it came to blows, we were in trouble. Well, we're on the way up this hill. We get the van stuck, and we're in the mud, and we cannot get it out. And we're like, okay, Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem. We get out of the van and we're looking at it. I'm trying to push it and he's, we're, I'm, we're stuck. We're in the middle of the, of the boonies of Mexico. And, uh, and so all of a sudden these four vaqueros, I speak Spanish, and these four cowboys come by. I'm like, hola. <laughs> How's it going? You know, I'm thinking, I think we may be dead right now. And they, they may, we may be donating the van to Mexico. And, um, and so I talked to them and said, hey, we're not, we have a problem. You know what? I'm grateful that those guys, I'm grateful they didn't just say, well, may the Lord bless you. 
see you later. They didn't do that. It was the first experience I've ever had of real horsepower being a city boy. These, these four cowboys, they lassoed our van and they pulled our van out with two of these horses. And I was like, dude, that is cool. And we got out of there and it was, they were, it was awesome. They weren't, we weren't threatened or anything, but, but I'm, I'm grateful that they helped us. See, James is saying that when you walk with Jesus, you don't just say, bless you and go on. No, you help somebody. And that's what he's saying. It's more than just a feeling. It's, it's actions. Now, another thing that I think James is saying, real faith is not just giving mental assent to Christ. It's not just this, oh, I'm giving this mental assent. I'm just gonna, in my mind, say that, okay, Jesus, I believe in you. You know, look at verse 19. James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons believe and shudder. Basically saying is just saying that, oh, I believe. Even the devil believes. The demons believe, and they, they're scared to death. And I want you to see that there is a kind of faith that acknowledges a set of facts to be true, but it doesn't save you. To have faith, it means you rely on, you cling to, you trust in. You commit yourself to. That's what saving faith is. I mean, um, you know, we all believe in Nazis. But we're not one, right? We shouldn't be one. You can have knowledge about something without trusting in something. And it's interesting because James goes into these two illustrations and, and these two illustrations of real faith. And it's, it's important to see this, that, that faith is not passive, it's active. And, he, and he, he uses Abraham and Rahab. And these are two examples of opposite extremes. Abraham, if you know the Old Testament, Abraham was the patriarch. He was a man. He was a man. Rahab was a woman. And we see this story unfold in the Old Testament. Uh, Abraham is Jewish. Rahab is a Gentile. And you see, Abraham is this patriarch, the head of the family. Rahab is this prostitute. Abraham is this somebody. Rahab is this nobody. And God uses this illustration here through James to tell us that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, faith is seen in what you do. Because these two people have this one thing in, in common. They, God led them to action. And here's the point I want you to see is that our changed life is evidence that we've truly trusted in Jesus. And so today as we, as we look at this passage and we think, okay, goodness, wait, wait this seems to be saying the, the different things than what we've studied before. But it's It's not. James is just pointing out that when you have a faith in Christ, it impacts the way you live. So today I want to ask you a question. Has Jesus changed your life? Have you acted on your faith? You know, we have a guy in our church that called me, I was several, a year and a half ago or so, and and he said, hey, Chris, uh, I'd love to take you to lunch. I was like, great, um, let's go to Ponca City. I was like, okay. I go, well, there's, I think there's some restaurants a little closer um, than Ponca City. Um, 
uh, great town. And he goes, no, uh, we're going to fly there. I'm a pilot. I was like, okay. Are you a good pilot? Because <laughs> I'm not a pilot, you know? And, and he's like, oh, yeah. He goes, he goes look, I, 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 ne- I don't take any risk. I never take risks. I was like, okay, great. Well, okay, well, let's, let's go. And this day was a nice day. And so we, I go with him and we go to his plane and we get there and we're walking around his plane doing the inspection. And I'm like, hey, did you, did you know that your plane says experimental on the, on the side of it? I know what experimental means. And I'm like, I don't know that I want to be in an experiment today. Um, and, uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's a great plane. And, and I said, and then I see that it's like, he goes, no, it's great. It's a home kit plane. I'm like, super. It's great. So you bought a plane off the Internet, put it together at your house, and we're going to go up to like, I don't know, 10,000 feet and uh, fly around. I was like, you don't take risks? I mean, to me, that seems like a risk. I don't know. And um, so he's like, oh, it's going to be great. I was like, okay. So we get in the plane, and uh, he's doing, the, he got the thing on, he's doing the checklist, and he, we start to take off, and we get up in the air, and he's like, okay, if I have a heart attack, here's what you need to do. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you feeling okay? Feeling all right? Feeling a little numbness in the left arm or anything? Uh, because... I'm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I am not giving him mouth to mouth today. And, uh, and I said to him, look, buddy, if you go down, we're both going to die uh, because I am not going to be able to land this plane. But that was a moment in my life where I'm really trusting not just him. I was like, oh, hey, Lord, my life is in your hands. And it was fine. We, we made it just fine. But I want you to see in a real sense, that's what James is talking about. God is saying to us, talk is cheap. Feelings come and go. Believing a set of facts doesn't change anything. Alive and a faith that's alive is expressed in this commitment to Christ. And, and our actions speak louder than our words. Our behavior shows what we really believe. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, look at this verse, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And that's what, that's what we're doing today. We're testing ourselves. Examine yourself. Or, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? And this morning, let's not miss the, the, the significance of this moment that we're called to examine ourselves today. We're called to, to look at ourselves, and, and I love how Paul ended that verse that says, unless indeed you fail the test. This is a test that, that I don't want anybody in our church to fail, in our community to fail. You know, um, are you a Christ follower? That's what James 2 is moving us to confront. I love what Mark Deaver says. Mark Mark Deaver is a pastor in in Washington, D.C., incredible pastor. And I love what he said. He says this, to to settle this, to to, to determine if you are a genuine follower of Christ, right now in this moment, there's three questions. It's not in your notes, just three questions to ask. Do you have a present trust 
right now in Christ alone for your salvation. Can you honestly say in this moment, if I died, I trust in Jesus alone. It's not my, my work, not something I did. I trust in what Jesus did on the cross and how he rose from the dead. In this moment, that's what I believe will save me. Do you have a present trust in Christ alone for your salvation? The second question, Mark Deaver says, if we're, if we're gonna examine ourselves well, is there evidence of a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in my heart? Is the Spirit of God at work in my heart? Is he moving me? Is he, is he growing me? Is he speaking to me? Does he convict me? Because that's, that's one of those ways to test if your faith is genuine. A third question that he says is, do I see a long-term pattern of growth in my Christian life? Am I moved to grow up? Am I moved to, to, to grow in my faith and, and seek the Lord and, and learn from him and, and understand his word? You see, I, I'm, there's, there's a reason in our church that we don't just say, oh, just raise your hand if you want to trust Christ. I'm not, we do this, we've done that before. And there are moments, but we don't stop there. We like invitations where we say, look, we're going to have an invitation, and we want you to come forward. And we want you to go with somebody to, to, to understand what God's Word says. Because we want you to know what the Bible says. We want you to understand faith. And it's hard for me in a crowd like this to just say, just to... To, to make sure that you understand. And one of the reasons we like giving invitations is because it gives us the chance to understand what faith is. And so for us, in this moment, are you uncertain about your faith being authentic? You could come today and settle that today. You could leave this room. You could leave this place knowing that Jesus is your Savior, that you have a present trust in Christ alone to save you. Is that you today? Maybe you know that Christ is your Savior, but, but the truth is you've got to repent of some things. The Holy Spirit's convicting you about, look, you've got to get some things right. Listen to him. Get on your knees, come and do that. Grab a brother or sister or a friend and say, man, let me pray with me. My prayer is that we listen to what the Spirit of God says to us. I'm gonna ask you to stand where you are. And as you stand, I, I want you to bow your head. Just close your eyes. Would you examine yourself? right now. And if you have questions, we want to help you. So we invite you to come. Now walking down this aisle is not going to save you. But I do want you to know the Holy Spirit is alive and is here and is moving and you'll never regret following him. Lord Jesus, would you move us right now?